It took me six hours and 52 minutes to finish the full marathon. And I was the last person to finish. And I was just crying, Mick, right through to the finish line because then I got it. I got it. I thought, Neva, you're moving on. You're healing and you've got to come out of this. Welcome to Are You Mental, a podcast about mental health. My name is Mick Andrews, and today we're talking all about the path through depression. I'm making a three-episode mini-series where I talk to three people who have experienced depression and, for the most part, have come out the other side. We talk about what their depression was like, but more importantly, we focus on what helped them get through, down to the brass tacks of tools, habits, and inner work that helped lift their depression. So no matter who you are or where you're at, I think you're going to get a lot out of these episodes. But my greatest hope is that they are listened to by people who are currently in a difficult and maybe even dark place with depression, to impart strategies and tools to help shift the depression, and most importantly, to give hope. So if that's you, I really encourage you to keep listening. And if you know someone currently experiencing depression, I invite you to do that courageous thing and share this episode with them. Just to cover off some housekeeping, we are needing some funds to make the next episode of Are You Mental? So if you want to help out with that, go to our sparkly new website at areyoumental.com and click on the donate button. And if you want to get hold of me for any reason, you can email mick, that's M-I-C-K, at areyoumental.com. In this episode of this little series, I talk to Neva. Can you hear me, Neva? Yes! All right. You can hear me? Lovely. Those of you listening from Aotearoa, New Zealand, will probably recognise Neva's voice. Good morning, it's 6.30, I'm Neva Reddy Manu. And one of the things she does when she's not reading the news on the radio is she makes a podcast alongside her friend and world champion athlete, Beatrice Falmuina, called Straight Up. The only thing I was really good at was talking. But look how it's paid off for you now. <laughs> I was one of the producers on that podcast, which is how I met Neva. I clearly remember our first planning meeting and I didn't quite know how to respond to the sheer level of energy she exudes. But her irreverence and childlike sense of fun is really disarming. And I have a feeling that everyone who meets Neva for the first time feels like they've made a new friend. So a couple of weeks ago, I was really looking forward to sitting down with Neva and having a catch up before the interview. But at the time, my house was having a COVID scare. So we had to do it remotely. So you're at home. Yeah. Is this your setup at home? You're in my bedroom wardrobe. Shut up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm in mixed bedrooms. Stop it. Intimate. Love it. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And by the way, Neva is not her full name. In fact, this is... Fa'ana Neva Tapa'au Fa'asasina Fa'apopuriti Manu. Wow. What happens when you have to fill out a form for something official? Well, yeah, I ask for three lines. <laughs> No, of, but, of what? Of, of what? What? Yes, exactly. What? I'll save you the 15 minutes of banter we had before we got down to the serious stuff. But when we did, Neva told me about how, for her, depression was brought on by grief. My father died when I was 21, and it came out of the blue. Mm. We had no idea. So he had cancer, and from the time he was diagnosed to the time he died it was three months 10 years later, my mother died. So I just spiraled because 
I didn't know how to react. And for me, personally, I think I just buried those feelings. And I thought, oh my gosh, who am I? Where am I going here? And I think it's that word of orphan that's what struck me because we didn't have grandparents. We didn't have any elderly or anyone older, aunties and uncles, which is kind of bizarre because we're Samoan. So getting back to, you know, like my grief, once the second parent died, I just felt empty. There was an emptiness there. And I didn't do a very good job of looking after myself. I didn't really give a shit because to me, home is... Ainga. Ainga means family in Samoan. Mm. And when you lose that, I lost all sense of cultural identity. Back then, I didn't know that, but now I realise that was the real essence of how I hit rock bottom. I didn't know who I was. My siblings and I were going, where are we going to go for Christmas? And I remembered one Christmas in particular there was no one there on Christmas Day who was older than 36. And I remember saying this, which I I laugh now when I think about it. Wouldn't it be cool just to have an older auntie and uncle in a wheelchair so we can push them around? So that was, at the time, was my reality. And part of that was very difficult for me to get my head around. And I didn't get my head around it, really. And to me, that was the beginning of the Depression. And the depression took Neva lower and lower until she just really wasn't feeling herself anymore. Some days it was hard to get out of bed. I didn't care for my body, so I was eating all the wrong foods and I was putting on weight. I was going out partying. When you don't have parents there, there's no one there to tell you off. So I was kind of like this wild child. And uh, during that period, when I wasn't good, I was just keeping my head above water. And then when I say that, I was turning up to work and being present, but not being present. Mm. I just felt sad and just, you know, like not not joyful and not laughing. Like I used to laugh all the time and I used to cackle and I was the comedian. You know, mm. everyone would come to me and they go, oh, I was a party animal. Like, oh, my gosh, we want a really good time. Ring Neva. You know, we've got to invite her to the party. I was always a popular girl. And then you know, going through these bad patches of, you know, not feeling good about myself and and not putting myself first and and not looking after myself and living an unhealthy lifestyle. And I didn't know how to get out of it. And, you know, there are times too when I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to to ring mum and dad or, oh, I've won this award and they're not there. So there's no one there. And and then I would would be sad, Mick. There was a sadness there. And you know, in the first six months, I went to the supermarket and I saw this woman and I thought, oh, she reminds me of my mother. Mm. And then I would have been having a great day and then I would have mm. started crying in the aisle, you know. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of people always say it takes time. I remember, you know, a friend of mine and, and she'd been orphaned at quite a young age and she came over to the house. She said to me, it will get better, but not today. And it will take time. And at the time, I thought, flippin' heck, you know, but she's right. And when you think back to that period where you were depressed, was there a physical element to it? Oh, absolutely. Like, I didn't love myself. I didn't love my body. I was not exercising. I was eating all the wrong foods and takeaways and lived off that. 
and partying and drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes. So I led this very unhealthy lifestyle. I just was spiralling. I was just going down and doing all the wrong things. I just didn't like myself and I didn't like what was going on in my own world. I didn't care about my life. I didn't care about me. And so Do you think with just... the partying and the drinking, there was an element of self-medicating because of the feelings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Numb the pain by drinking, by doing all of that. It was trying to make myself feel better uh, with what I was going through in the depression. But it didn't help, really. I can't stress enough that this question is absolutely optional, but sometimes people who end up in a dark place feel like they don't want to be alive anymore. Oh, yeah, I knew you'd ask me that. No, I never felt that. Okay. However, in saying that, that could have changed if I had continued to go down that hole and not get help when I had. And I have had close friends who have taken their own life and that has been difficult. But for me, I didn't get to that stage. Mm. Um, I never needed medication. But later on, I'll tell you, you know, about the counselling. But I think that... Yes, let's start talking about that. What happened next? So probably about six months after the second period, my mother died... A friend of mine had said, look, I have a friend who's a retired counsellor, but she still has clients, and I think you need to go and see her and speak to her because, you know, you're going through something that's quite major here. And so I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be good. I'd never been to a counsellor before, and so I turned up to this woman's house, and when I walked in, she sat me down and she said, well, look, you know, what's been happening? And I just cried. And I cried and I couldn't speak. I cried for the full hour. Hmm. And I think after 15 minutes, she left me alone and then she came back. And she said, I think this is not a good day for you to speak. She said, so I think you should just sit here and cry. And it Hmm. was just this release. Hmm. So that was interesting for me because I knew that I was just so sad. But it was Hmm. also maybe the first time that I thought it's being released and I'm getting help. So mm. I just sat there and cried, and I had to actually make another appointment with her because mm. I couldn't get the words out. I then you have I, to pay someone to sit I, there and cry. I know. I thought, oh, flipping <laughs> heck. And I didn't even take my own tissues over. Well, you see, that was it. I was a <laughs> At novice. least you got your money's worth out of tissues. I know. I thought, my goodness. And so I went back to see her a week later, and, you know, we chatted. And, um, yeah, I didn't... What I'm going to say is I didn't feel a strong connection with Mm. her and I went to see her three times and it didn't work for me and I didn't see a counsellor after that. And then several months after that, I thought maybe I need to go and see someone who is a Pacific Island counsellor. And so Mm. when I went to see this Pacific person, I wasn't happy either. You know, I, I had two sessions. Very picky. I was very picky. I had two sessions and I thought, I'm not happy here either. And I can't tell you why. I'm just trying to think. I, I just felt we just didn't connect. I thought, this is like speed dating. I thought, I'm going to have to find someone else. More expensive. Exactly. But I... It was after a friend who had taken his own life. That rocked me. 
And mm. I thought this is another grief situation that I was really mindful about. And I thought, oh, man, I, I, I might not be good with, with this one. This was a close friend. So through work and, uh, you know, like my boss at the time said, look, you know, we offer the counselling services, yeah, and mm. that's an option for you. And I straight away said, yes, I need all the help that I can get. Mm. And I rang this number, you know, the guy answered, and I he said, oh, now you're looking for a counsellor. I said, yes, I am. But I said, I don't want to be got a difficult. List. I've got a list of things yeah. I need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I said, look, Short I don't... Short hair, um, <laughs> six <laughs> foot right. at least. I said, look, I don't want to be difficult, but, you know, <laughs> I just want to go through this list. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I said, I want to see someone who lives in my suburb or close to the suburb. I only want to drive radius like five kilometres because this will be very emotional and I don't want to spend half the time in the car and I don't want to stress out. And I said, and the third thing is, if I don't get on with this person after the first session, I'm going to end it and can you put me onto someone else? Because I have had a couple of friends say to me that they've gone to counselling and they've gone to someone who wasn't right for them, but they continued that. Mm. And so I was really, really adamant about these wishes. And he was great. And he said, okay, well, someone will get in contact with you. A couple of hours later, this woman phoned and she said, oh, look, I've got an office and it's just not far from where you live. And I went, oh, okay. And I did say to her, I said, look, if we don't connect, is that okay? Like, you know, after the first one. And she said, yeah, yeah, no, that's not a problem. She said, now, why don't we meet for coffee? And I thought, that's a strange thing mm. to say. And I went, no, yeah. no, I don't want to meet for coffee. And I said, what? no, no. And I was just about to say, oh, I don't think this is going to work. And then she turned around and she said, oh, no, I have to meet you in a cafe because the office, you can only go into the office through this cafe, round the corner, up the back stairs. And I thought, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Do you know what, Mick? I loved it because it, at that moment I saw she sounds quirky, offbeat, unconventional. You know, there was something mm. nutty about this. And I thought mm. that's exactly what the type of person <laughs> I am. And she said, yeah, you've got to go round the corner through the thing. You can't get anywhere. <laughs> stand on one leg. Yeah, stand on one leg. And I loved it. And she had a bit of a cackle, a bit of a laugh. And I thought, <laughs> I like you. And a you. long nose and a broomstick. And a long nose. I was like, flip. And I, and I thought to myself, I think I'm going to connect with this person. And when I went through this cafe and that, and there was this aging hippie, and I went, oh, my gosh, it's got to be her. <laughs> but w there was an instant connection, and mm. I stayed with her for at least eight months. She was my main counsellor, and I loved the counselling sessions with her. The first session, she didn't speak. I thought, hmm. crap, are they all going to be like this? And I didn't. <laughs> I spoke for 48 minutes and she didn't speak. Hmm. And then I said to her, oh, what's the time? Is this session only an hour? She said, yes, it is. I said, oh. Uh, she said, you've been speaking for 48 minutes. I said, oh, have you got anything to say? What are you? Impart some pearls of wisdom. Am I crazy? Am I fucked? What? And she went, no, this is about you. This is hmm. all about you. And she said, for today, you know, she said. Mm, mm. Um, so I went to see her for at least twice a week, which went down to once a week over an eight-month period. Hi, it's Mick here. I hope you're enjoying Are You Mental? As you can imagine, making this podcast is a pretty time-consuming pursuit. And I often get asked how people can support the podcast. 
So what you can do is go to gofundme.com and search the words, are you mental? That's gofundme.com and search, are you mental? Okay, on with the episode. During this season of counselling, some of the things her therapist suggested, Neva embraced wholeheartedly, and other things... Not so much. She wanted me to do the, you know, the journaling and things like that and to write down some things. And that's not me. I said mm. to her, no, I will not be doing that. <laughs> she said, I think you need to write down these things, that, how you're feeling. I went, no, I won't be doing that. She's, she's, I said, look, I, and I am a writer. I'm a journalist at heart. I've written a book. But, I, you know, I said to her, I like to verbalise. Mm. And I said, and I like to tell people face to face because then it's real for me, but I can't write things down. It's not me. If I'm going through a healing process, I have to look people in the eye and I have to verbalise it. After eight months of counselling, not only did Neva get a chance to release a lot of the grief and sadness that fueled her depression, but she also got to know herself and her needs a lot better. And she worked out what strategies helped her stay on top of things emotionally. The key things were for me, Mick, is that I had to declutter my life. I'm a minimalist at heart, so it was like mm. decluttering my life. I say no to things that I don't want to do and to people that I don't want to see. And because, you know, with my work, I'm up at 3 a.m., sleep mm. deprivation. Sleep is a big part mm. of my healing and wellness now. And actually, I have to be out in the sunlight, be outside, breathe the fresh air, mm. um, exercise, make sure that I go for big, long walks, you know, five, mm. seven kilometers. I'm not mm. a top athlete, but I have to keep moving. I think the key thing, too, for me, it's to keep the stress to a minimum or to mm. get away from stress and get away from negative energy, negative people things that I didn't want to do, conversations, and I thought, I don't want to be part of this. And it was speaking my truth. And I think Mm. during that eight-month period that I was seeing this counsellor, I found a voice of truth, and I found that was the power, was when I spoke my truth. And it was a really nice release for me. An example of that is when I went to the gym one day, I had to go to, you know, I was at the gym at about 1pm and I had a session with the counsellor at 2pm. One of the trainers said, oh, well, we'll we'll do your blood pressure and we'll have a chit-chat at 2pm after this. And I thought to myself, oh, I've got this session with my counsellor at 2pm. Oh, we'll just lie and say that I'm going to see a doctor, my doctor. And I thought to myself, why are you lying, Neva? Do not be embarrassed. There's no shame There's Mm. no shame in going to see a counsellor. So I turned around and I said, oh, look, sorry, I can't make that because I've got a counsellor's appointment at 2 p.m. and I really can't miss it. And the reaction was fantastic. You know, the two trainers were there going, oh, yeah, no, sure, Neve, not a problem, not a problem. And, you know, Mm. they carried on because they thought, don't make a big deal about it. You know, that's, Mm. you know, which was the right thing to do. And, And a couple of the other guys, you know, one of them came up to me and said, oh, I heard you say you're going to a counsellor. Um. Thanks for sharing, and I think that's really great. You know, my daughter has anxiety, and, and mm. you know, then one of the other guys said, yeah, I haven't been quite well, and I've been thinking about going to see a counsellor. So all of this was happening, and I said, look, that's fantastic. I said, I just didn't want to lie, and I was thinking about saying I was going to see a doctor, and I thought, nah, stop that. And that made me feel lighter. Mm. It made me feel lighter. And after I did that, I just it just started to snowball, and then I went, I'm going to go into work. I'm going to tell my colleagues in a big 
fat newsroom. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. Neva and I then got talking about the effect depression had on her ability to look after herself. Until one day she had a moment of truth that she was actually living a really unhealthy lifestyle. And this moment gave her a push to take some action. And the first thing I did was that I went to my GP. And she said to me, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to stop smoking cigarettes. Everything Mm. else can come after that. Mm. But you need to stop smoking cigarettes. You know, the smoking cigarettes and drinking wine went hand in hand Mm. for me. So I tried to give up smoking. And I think I didn't because I started smoking again when I went to the pub after, you know, three weeks. So I thought, I've got to get serious about that. So that's when I stopped going to the pub. I made an announcement. I went into work and I went, Okay, I've got an announcement to make. I won't be going to the pub for the next six months because I've got to try and get off smoking cigarettes and the two go hand in hand. And everyone at Mm. work was like, you're our free entertainment. What are we going to do now? (laughs) I went, help your bloody sister out, all right. No, so, um, so that was, you know, the start of it. But then I started running marathons. Well, hey, I was training for a marathon, and that's when Mm. the book came about. Yeah. So I touched on that lightly in the book on on depression, and that was all part of my journey. And I did my first marathon in 2012, Mm -hmm. and since then I've run eight marathons. And I started running marathons around the world, but that was part of my journey of Mm. coming out into the light, you know, Mm. so to speak. And. I can tell you, Mick, it wasn't, I wasn't the fastest runner. I was walking, I could barely run. And for me, what I loved about this journey was that it was just to finish. Hmm. Finishing was winning. But the first marathon I ran really represented the depression and, and the grief in, hmm. in my family. So, you know, uh, I found a marathon. It was the Blenheim Marathon because when <laughs> the we world got famous back, Blenheim Marathon, the world famous. And I went down there, and they had, they rang up, and they said, look, we've got some runners here. And they were talking about me in particular. They said, there's there's one woman who's been training for 12 months. She will take a long time to finish the marathon. She's not mm. a fast runner, but she really wants to do it. This is all part of her journey. And it took me six hours and 52 minutes wow. to finish the full marathon. And I never gave up. And while I was running that marathon, oh, everyone had finished. Mm. It was really hot. It was December. I'd been running nonstop at a slow pace. Your walk would have been faster than my run. (laughs) And my trainer was running next to me. I had this, you know, posse of people with me, which was really cool. And my trainer said to me, you will cry when you finish. I went, no, I won't. No, I won't. And she said, well, this marathon isn't just a run for you. What is this about? Because it represented my journey. It represented my parents and the depression. Mm. Everything. I could see it, you know, like it, all of a sudden the dark cloud had lifted. And then they said, oh, they've postponed the, you know, prize giving and they're waiting for you to run through. There's like 400 people. And I went, What? And they said, yeah, they're waiting for you. And I was the last person to finish. All the runners had finished like hours before I had. Mm. So I went running through to the finish line in this 24-degree, you know, Blenheim heat. And as as I was running through, and they're all chanting my name, Neva, and I keep thinking, why don't you use my full name? For goodness sake. I can't think why not. And I was just crying. 
crying, Mick, right mm. through to the finish line because then I got it. I mm. got it. I thought this is what it represents. This is all part of my journey, but this is the first time it's lifting the depression. It's lifting. It's, it's you know, like not saying goodbye to my parents, but acknowledging and thanking them, but also thinking, Neva, you're moving on. You're healing and you've got to come out of this. Mm. And what was that, you know, people talk with depression about a spiral downwards into depression, but they also talk about a spiral upwards that happens. And what was that spiral upwards like for you emotionally? What did it feel like to be stepping into the world, starting to f- open up and expand your life again and feel joy again? Like Oh, it was just fantastic. Like it was just, um, I really, really feel it. I feel really euphoric and I feel great. I feel like it's me when I'm openly talking mm. about depression. I know, doesn't that sound weird? Mm. But the more I say my truth and the more I talk about it, the more that freedom that I feel. And so when you're asking me, what was it feel? What does it feel like when you're spiraling up? For me, it's a sense of freedom. Mm. It's a real release. It is a joy, but for me, my joy is helping others because mm. I think I'm meant to be doing that. And it makes perfect sense to me that you speaking to a group of people would be part of your healing process because you described a big part of your depression as being denial and you not being fully honest with yourself and you burying your feelings and burying your truth and covering it with partying and stuff. So to be uncovering that truth again, digging it back up and and exposing it and, and feeling okay about that, yeah, I can see how that would lead to freedom for you. And actually, that's an interesting thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and I didn't. You've put it succinctly in a in, in the perfect way. Yeah, you should be a counselor. I oh, should be a counselor. You are, <laughs> oh, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> and and that's exactly how I feel, and mm. that's how I cope. Yeah. Mm. Um. Obviously, this journey of depression has been huge for you. What's life like now? Oh, life's great. Well, when I say that, I'm also mindful because there's no quick fix. There's no cure. I'm aware that I could slip back Hmm. and I know the triggers. So life for me right now, I'm in a great place. And Hmm. I know I've got some good protections around that. It's great to have these conversations. It's great for people to know that they're not alone. Hmm. And it's okay to ask for help. I think those things still have to be said. And and being Pacific as well, it was you know, seen as a sign of weakness to ask yeah. for help and yeah. not to even talk about it. So, yeah. yeah, I think my role is for me personally to heal myself because you can't heal anyone else, you know, unless you heal yourself. But I can actually say I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying my journey right now because now I am who I am, faults and all, warts and all. And I think you said it, Mick, the denial, that's one of the biggest things that I don't want to have. If someone's listening to this now and they themselves are in that dark place with depression, like you were, what would you want to say to them? Hmm. I would say 
it will be okay. Small steps. If you're in bed, my bet is you probably are, and you're lying there and you're feeling useless, not enjoying life, thinking no one cares. Someone does care. I care. Your family cares. And you need to tell someone. You need to get out of your bed now, off the couch. Don't self-medicate if you're drinking alcohol or anything like that, but find someone, someone who you can trust. I know when things like this are happening and you don't want to answer questions and you just want someone who can listen, and sometimes that's all we need is someone who is a really good listener. Sometimes I think, you know what? You don't even need to see someone face to face because sometimes, you know, when you're not feeling great and you're in depression, sometimes if you've got a phone, just drag that phone over and just call a number. Just call a number. I think that's probably the best bet because if you're in that deep hole, the last thing you want to do is see someone's face. You just want to hear someone. And I'm not saying anyone in particular because it might not be someone who's in your family because that might not be the right person. But it'll be okay. I'm trying really hard not to cry here. (laughs) But um, yeah, I'd just tell that person that not to give up. (laughs) Just don't give up. There is a way out and just put your trust in one person but just don't give up a huge thank you to Neva for sharing her story with us and always taking that brave step of speaking out so others can benefit if this episode has brought anything up for you and you'd like to talk to someone no matter where you are in the world you can go to checkpointorg.com global for a list of local helplines And if you're in Aotearoa, New Zealand, you can call 1737 at any time of the day or night. As I've said, we're looking for the funds to make the next episode. At time of recording, we're halfway there, so we'd love you to help with that. You can go to our website, areumental.com, and click on Donate. A big thank you to the Love It Media team for all their work and support, and a special shout-out to Josh for the slick new website. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Are You Mental Podcast. And just like every other podcast you listen to, we'd love you to quickly give us a five-star rating. And if you're an absolute champ, a review as well. Preferably a positive one. I'll see you back here soon for another episode. And until then, have a mental week.